We're the Denver Broncos cheerleaders, and you're listening to Sports Crunch with DCROM. This is Sports Crunch with D-Crom. I'm your host, David Cromwell. And it is hard to believe, but we are just over two weeks away from the 2022 NFL Draft. And from now until then, we here at Sports Crunch have some very exciting content headed your way. We have four more stops on our annual Dash to the Draft Divisional Tour. But wait, there's more. Next week, we will be joined by Carmen Vitale, NFL Senior Reporter for the NFL Draft Network, will tell us all the latest draft buzz she's hearing and help us do our fifth and final mock draft of the cycle. And in case you missed it, I will also be doing a special interview with Chicago Bears Pro Bowl Center Cody Whitehair. Yeah, you heard that right. Chicago Bears Pro Bowl Center Cody Whitehair will be joining the program in a little bit. And today, we reached the halfway point of the aforementioned divisional tour with a stop in the NFC West. And joining us to give us his two cents on what the Seahawks, 49ers, Cardinals, and Rams should do when they're on the clock is my good man, Cole Thompson, NFL and college football reporter for Fan Nation and the host of the Just Saying It podcast. It's great to have you back once again, Cole. How are you doing, brother? It always feels like that we talk like once a year. We probably need to do that a little bit more. How you been, bud? I've been great, thanks. How have you been? And I absolutely agree. We definitely need to have you back on more with your amazing football mind. You know, it's just uh, it's that time of year where the NFL never seems to sleep. All these rumors continuously seem to fly off the walls. And uh, yeah, you know, you're listening to everything with a grain of salt and probably nine times out of ten, you're going to be wrong. So that's kind of part of the fun about doing this for a living. <laughs> it definitely is. And we're definitely in that territory right now with just uh, as of uh, right now, when we're recording, we are 17 days away from the draft and uh, the line is only about to get cranked up, so to speak. And uh, let's uh, talk about the NFC West, starting with the Rams and the defending Super Bowl champs. They built their championship roster by trading premium draft picks for proven star talent. And they haven't had a first round selection since 2016 and will yet again only have one pick in the first three rounds this year. And as the saying goes, the NFL is a copycat league. And boy, has the Rams strategy been replicated this spring. Star players like Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, Khalil Mack, and others were traded in deals that involved the combined seven first-round picks, the most ever in a single month in the common draft era. Is the Rams' FM picks model the new norm in the National Football League, Cole? What do you think? To an extent, I would say so. I mean, I'm not going to go as far as to say that we're going to start seeing every team go this pathway because you also have to understand part of the process of when you get all these first round picks is you're going to have to owe these players top tier money once they enter their fourth or fifth year of the contract. So a team like the Houston Texans gets two first round picks for the next three years. People are saying, oh, well, they can go ahead and utilize their picks to move up and get maybe a third or a fourth first rounder. Well, at that point, you're paying these top-tier capital draft picks money that you probably need to save in the salary cap to what you could do when you get proven players. So for a team like Los Angeles that has felt like they've been a piece away for a very long time, you know, we're going back to well before the Jared Goff, you know, the Jared Goff trade with uh, Detroit to where you got to add Matthew Stafford. They were being aggressive every single offseason, adding in guys like Jalen Ramsey and adding in players, uh, adding in offensive pieces and going out and adding in, uh, Oda Beckham Jr. And then feeling like they weren't contending up there. So they went and they added in Allen Robinson and all these other pieces in free agency. So 
it's not to say that there's not a reason behind it, but you can see why this could be kind of the norm. A team like Miami wants to go all in with Tua Tagovailoa. So the best way to do so is by adding as much speed and as much arsenal weapons as possible, something that Brian Flores was never willing to do when he was running the team back in 2019 and 20 and 21. So those are things that I could definitely see happening. But you got to understand, the Los Angeles Chargers feel like they're a piece away defensively. They feel like that they almost are right there to be able to compete with Denver, to be able to compete with uh, Las Vegas, to be able to compete with Kansas City. A team like Denver felt like that they were a quarterback away, and they may be... One of the few teams that were in history, you can actually say, yeah, they kind of were a quarterback away to really being a contender. And that's why they were willing to give up all this draft capital to add in Russell Wilson. But other teams that feel like that maybe they're a couple pieces away, you're not going to see them give up precious draft capital just to add in a proven player. You got to be able to have uh, these conversations inside locker rooms, inside front offices. How do we best utilize our salary cap to our advantage? How do we find ways to bring in the right amount of talent without over splurging on players? And how do we make sure that we add in the right draft capital to either move up or down in the draft to get one or two proven commodities that could make our team better? A team like Los Angeles, it just feels like they were always couple pieces away every single offseason and they did that by adding in Jalen Ramsey and then Matthew Stafford and then Von Miller so giving up those draft picks was not a big deal for them because that they walk away with the Super Bowl cha- uh, with the Super Bowl championship and also they're right there back in contention another year so when I look at a team like Houston yeah maybe I understand why they're going through the rebuild get as many picks as possible play basically devil's advocate and move up and down draft boards basically making it a monster cluster mess when it comes to draft weekend but Teams that are contending, I could see them maybe adding in one proven commodity. I don't think you'll see these F them picks mentality like we've seen with Les Snead. He's just an aggressive GM who understands that when we draft in the first round, we struggle. When we don't draft in the first round, we get proven players later on in the draft that we actually end up turning into high-end starters that allow us to get more compensation picks back. And that was kind of the big thing is that you look at some of the names that have left in free agency over the last few years, John Johnson, Troy Hill, they're getting third round compensation picks in return, fourth round picks of compensation in return to where they can utilize those picks, get those 11, eight or nine selections, movie move up, get three or four picks, and then once again, be right back in contention. Lots of excellent points there, Cole. And uh, Matt Miller of ESPN, formerly of Bleach Report, brought up a great point on Twitter today. He said he is wondering uh, whether the league is uh, actually copying the Rams strategy at all. He thinks that it could be that the league is rather low on this draft class as opposed to just nearly copycatting the Rams. So I think that Matt brings up a really good point. And Matt and I have talked about this before off air. Um, The reality is is that when you look at several positions, you may feel more comfortable trading for a proven commodity. Like like a team like Cincinnati that could have been all interested in getting Laramie Tunsil from the Houston Texans. Makes a lot of sense because if they're picking at 31, the top tier offensive tackles are going to be off the board. And if you're trying to contend, once again, you can't have an up-and-coming maybe mid-second round player that is just going to go in the first round because if it's in need, you need to be able to add in the right pieces. But luckily, Lyle Collins became available. He's an LSU alum, wants to now go protect a former LSU alum in Joe Burrow, so it works out. When you look at those type of positions where you're trying to upgrade at certain levels, you definitely see the value of giving up a first round pick to go get a proven commodity because of what they're going to do is you're not going to have to teach them a lot of different mentalities. You're also going to automatically know 
where they kind of fit in the NFL. You already know what their upside is. You know what their ceiling is. You don't know uh, what some of these guys that we're going to see in rounds two, three, five, seven actually be. And, you know, every single year you see a second round player outshine a first round player. You see a six round player outshine a third round player. Like it happens every single year. But for teams that are trying to contend right now, you can't bet on a six-round player being that name. You can't bet on a six-round player showing up and just automatically thriving and becoming a next superstar like an Antonio Brown did when he was with the Pittsburgh Steelers when he was drafted out of Central Michigan. Those are things that you can hopefully bet on. But if you're trying to win now, you have to get the proven commodity. That's why Los Angeles was aggressive to go get a guy like Khalil Mack and then sign J.C. Jackson. That's why Denver was aggressive to go ahead and add a franchise quarterback instead of betting on maybe Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis or Desmond Ritter. Go get yourself a Russell Wilson. Just make that move. That's why you saw Las Vegas go out and make a move to go get a number one receiver in Devontae Adams instead of hopefully landing its next future number one like we thought we saw with Henry Ruggs. That's kind of the case. So when you have these teams that feel like they're a piece away, in a draft class that maybe doesn't have premier number one mentality talent in certain positions, I totally understand it. But that's the difference between a team like Los Angeles that has the proven pieces, got better in the offseason, which amazingly, I don't know how you possibly can say that with the salary cap hell that they were supposed to be in. And then you look at other teams that are just kind of going through rebuild. They want those picks. They want that draft capital. They want to be able to find the hit and misses to where they kind of know this is going to be a part of our foundation. This is going to be a part of our long-term rebuild. And it's why you see other teams feel like that they can just give up an extra draft pick to go get one player and be right back in the conversation of contention. Oh, very good point about the salary cap there. Whether or not the salary cap is a myth is a uh, very interesting. It's a myth. It's a myth. I'm, I'm tired of hearing that. Bobby Wagner is getting paid $50 million over the next five years on a team that was in the negative $20 million cap range. It's a myth. Uh, yeah, so uh, you're on the it's a myth side, and uh, maybe we will uh, debate it even more in depth on a future episode. But now let's talk about Bobby Wagner's former team and Russell Wilson's former team, the Seattle Seahawks. And there are varying opinions on the current state of the Seahawks roster. Some, myself included, see a bottom five roster in the entire league. Yet some others see a team kind of like last year's Broncos with solid talent across the board, yet that gaping hole at quarterback. What do you think of Seattle's roster as it currently stands? And if you were John Schneider and Pete Carroll, what would be the most ideal place on this roster to begin the post-Russell Wilson rebuild? I think, honestly, firing or letting go of Pete Carroll was the start of it, if you want my honest answer. I mean, I was one of the few people, I think, well back in week 10 that said Pete Carroll is down to his numbering days in Seattle. And for some reason, they elected to keep him. And here's the reality. John Schneider probably had a conversation midseason with Russ saying, are you going to sign a long-term deal? Are you going to be our franchise quarterback as we continue this new rebuild? And he probably understood that at that point, they were either going to have to listen to an offer to move him, or they would have to go ahead and risk the fact of potentially him walking in free agency and them getting nothing in return. So when you look at what happened with that scenario, I wonder what went into the conversation with Pete Carroll, because in 2017, Bruce Arians, retired from the likes of the Arizona Cardinals. And there was a lot of tension between uh, between him and Steve Kime. And it felt more so it was a, you're going to retire or we're going to fire you. We're going to let you go out on top. We're going to let you go out on your own terms. And it could have been the exact same case with Carroll, because when you look at this roster, Pete Carroll is going to go down as a Hall of Famer. I mean, he absolutely is. He's one of the best coaches in the last 25 years at the collegiate level and the NFL level. But at the same time, Look at his record in the NFL pre and post Russell Wilson. 
it's night and day difference. Russ made this team a lot better than what they were. And more specifically, I've said since about 2019, this has been a bottom five roster in the NFL. You just have one of the best quarterbacks who still was playing at a high end level before last season. Now, when I look at Denver, I see them as a team that maybe has gotten better because if you have a good enough offensive mind in Nathaniel Hackett, you have a good enough offensive coordinator coming in and you upgrade the quarterback position for us, even though he had a down year. But I really have no idea what the actual hell Seattle is doing right now. Because you could go ahead and trade one of those second round picks to go add in a name such as a Baker Mayfield, who is available on the market. You could have traded for a guy uh, like maybe a Matt Ryan if you really want to contend. You could have potentially added in a Marcus Mariota on a cost affordable deal if you really want to. But Drew Locke is not going to get the job done. And when you look at the quarterback position as a whole in this year's draft, do you really think that there is that much of a difference between a Malik Willis upside and what Baker Mayfield brings you right now? I mean, when you're looking at how this team is built and how they want to expand the rushing attack and how they want to focal on the, uh, you know, focus on the run game and how they want to continue to play a good cover three defense, there's a lot of needs that they're going to have to address in, in the upcoming draft. And one of which is also quarterback, just simply because you don't have one for the future. And if you're trying to win with a GM in Snyder, who has had a track record of horrendously drafting in round one and a coach as Carol, who's entering his age 71 season, what are you kind of saying about your franchise? Because of there's really no direction right now. They're a team that probably is going to finish bottom five in the NFC. They're a team that's probably going to be picking in the top 10 next year. And you're basically running it back with a coach who doesn't want to admit that they are entering a rebuild, but also has to understand you're entering a rebuild. So there's a lot of questions I have right now with uh, Seattle. I honestly think that this is just going to be a final hoorah season for Pete Carroll. They're going to do everything in their power to try and win. They're not going to get many wins. They're probably going to be a sub 500 roster. I would go probably a five win at most roster. And then they're going to have to go ahead and start fresh. And that can mean a lot of fresh. That can mean, new GM, new head coach, new quarterback. And there's a lot of different areas. There's not one right direction to go because there's so many holes on this roster. You could tell me that they're going to address one of these multiple needs with the number nine overall pick. And I'd go, yep, I believe it. I hundred percent believe it. And when you have something like that and you're saying that you're trying to contend, that alone proves to me that you're really not trying to contend whatsoever. Yeah, and I'm sure you know I'm a big Broncos fan as well. And one of the things that really puzzled me about the Seahawks in that trade why didn't the Seahawks demand a better player in return from the Broncos? They could have uh, t targeted a guy like Patrick Sertan on his rookie contract or a Jerry Judy, but uh, they get Shelby Harris, who's a good player, but he's more of a veteran locker room glue guy at this point in his career. They get Noah Fan, who still has upside, but he's more of a workout warrior than a legitimate star tight end. And he get Drew Locke, who uh, is just a career backup at this point, so to speak. Uh, why didn't they target a bigger name? I just do not know. Probably because of they couldn't get one. And that's kind of the thing that like you look at with the Deshaun Watson deal. A lot of people have been asking, well, why didn't they go ahead and add in a proven player? Well, what proven player was actually going to be on the market to where Casario walks away with three first round picks? You know, we were able to have a conversation with Nick Casario here in Houston right after the deal got done. And he said that everything that you heard of players being added was just speculation at that point. The starting asking price was always three first round picks. So no matter what, you had to walk away with three first round picks. What was the starting asking price for Russell Wilson? Was it two first round picks? Was it two first round picks and two second round picks? Was it three first round picks? And then instead, oh, will you go get a tight end named Noah Fant 
who has three more, uh, two more years left on his rookie deal, potentially has some upside, can really still, I think, in my opinion, be a top 10 tight end in the league. We'll give you a better end in Shelby Harris. So those are things that like you kind of look at in conversation and go, ah, you know, what was actually the asking price and what were we going to be able to give up before we were going to get a deal done? If we go ahead and we target a guy like Jerry Judy, are we risking not getting a first round pick? And then we give them Russell Wilson and they keep pick number nine. What if we go ahead and we target a guy like Patrick Sertan? Do we go ahead and get pick number nine as well on that deal? So those are some things that you have to have in consideration. Again, another thing with John Schneider probably wants to have his players in his locker room on his team, not players that fit an old locker room on a proven team. So maybe Noah Fant fits, maybe Drew Locke fits. Shelby Harris, we know at least kind of fits the defense because of his past there. So, you know, there's at least those three players that kind of at least make sense. But I don't think you're wrong to say, you know, why did they target a better player? But the reality is, what were they going to give up in return? And what part of that deal was not going to be brought in to go get a proven up and coming name that still had a lot of roster control. You nailed it right on the head there, Cole. And uh, now let's talk about the San Francisco 49ers. And even as draft day inches closer, the main headline when it comes to the 49ers does not involve who they will select because uh, the 49ers, they have a couple of small needs here and there, but this is arguably a top three overall roster in the entire league. And that is why the main headline about the 49ers remains the future of Jimmy Garoppolo. After trading this and next year's first round picks to move up for Trey Lance last spring, the 49ers seemed set to trade Jimmy G uh, in March, but offseason shoulder surgery immediately sunk his trade market. And most, if not all of the seats in the 2022 edition of quarterback musical chairs have already been filled. While the investment in Lance strongly suggests that the Niners should hand him the reins this year, the solution is not as simple as many think. Jimmy Garoppolo is still universally loved, and I mean loved, in that San Francisco locker room. So if the 49ers are unable to trade Jimmy G, should he be their starter in 2022? I think this is a very good problem to have. And I may be one of the very few people who says this that gets a lot of slack. And I'm probably sure that there's going to be enough PFF and major names that are that we both respect in this industry that go, no, you're an idiot. Jimmy Garoppolo has won you games. Like, regardless of what you think of Jimmy Garoppolo, he's won you games in a Kyle Shanahan offense. He's taking you to the playoffs in a Kyle Shanahan offense. And more specifically, He's been to two conference championships in a Kyle Shanahan offense. So in reality, if Lance struggles, if Lance is not up to speed, and I, and I had a huge draft crush on Lance. I, I remember watching his film coming out of North Dakota State, and I said that this kid has all the intangibles with time to be just as good, if not better, than what Josh Allen's ceiling was. And I was very high on Josh Allen. He was my QB1 in 2018. I got a lot of slack for that. Uh, uh, you know, Trevor, uh, Trey Lance was my QB2 in last year's draft class. I'm very cool with saying that. I, I'll go on record. If I strike out and miss with that one, so be it. But I, everything I saw from his intangibles screams potential franchise caliber, top-tier quarterback. The problem is that when you look at what Trey Lance did, one – was he didn't have a lot of starting experience. He only had one year as a full-time starter at North Dakota State and the level of competition where a guy like potentially uh, a Mac Jones or a uh, Justin Fields, the reason why maybe you want to bet on them is because they at least face off against NFL caliber level of competition every single Saturday during their time in the Big Ten and SEC respectively to where you can feel comfortable going into next season with them as your starter. And if Jimmy Garoppolo is unfortunately eating up $24 million of the cap space sitting on the bench, well, the reason is because if you have a younger, more efficient quarterback that has already faced this level of competition during their college days. So 
Garoppolo brings you up a really good uh, a really good conversation to be had. If Trey is not picking up the offense as quickly as possible, and you got to remember that a lot of the people that Kyle Shanahan promotes have been on his staff for years and years and years and years and years. I mean, you got to remember that the guy who just took over for Mike McDaniel, Bobby Slolick, was a member of um, the Washington Commander staff well back in 2011, and then he joined with Kyle Shanahan back in 2017 and has worked his way up all the way to pass game coordinator. Very similar to what you saw with Robert Sala, very similar to what you saw with Mike McDaniel. So he likes to promote guys from within, which means that this offense is going to cater to what Trey Lance has done best and what Trey Lance needs to continue to improve on. The good news is that Jimmy Garoppolo already understands the offense. And if you're trying to win now with the pieces that you have, and, and you really are, you kind of hit it pretty close they're only, I think, two or three pieces away from really being contending. I think if they need a good nickel defender to replace Kawan Williams, I think they need a good perimeter, uh, a good boundary corner to replace uh, what Richard Sherman did. They weren't able to have that consistency because of injuries last season. And I think if they could always go ahead and upgrade the offensive line, if they add that, they're really not that far off as long as the quarterback play is consistent. I know that a lot of people are going to be sitting here going, well, what happens if Trey Lance is good? Okay, well, the Trey Lance is good. You just sit Jimmy G, which is always going to be the game plan. And you weren't going to plan on having Jimmy G be your starter in 2022. So kind of case in point, you're right back to where it is. But if he's not ready to play, you have a guy that's worked in this offense, a guy who has been efficient in this offense, and a guy who during the regular season has done his job enough to keep you competitive in a very tough division in the NFC West. And you just rely heavily on your defense, which still is pretty solid even though they lost a couple pieces in free agency last season they need to just add a couple more pieces this season and they're bippity bobby boop right back in the conversation i feel like that if you need to start jimmy garoppolo by all means you're in a really good spot to play if you don't need to start jimmy garoppolo that means that trey lance is working and that probably means that you did not waste those three first round picks to move up to the number three spot to grab your future franchise quarterback definitely the uh Training camp battle between uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance is going to be one of the big headlines this summer, it looks like. And now let's go on to the Arizona Cardinals, who may have a bit of a dilemma in this draft. On one hand, you have a somewhat disgruntled Pro Bowl quarterback in Kyler Murray, who needs far better protection up front, especially on the interior of the line, yet you have a pass rush with a crater-sized hole, given the departure of Chandler Jones. In the event the board presents equally valid options on both sides, would you prioritize making Kyler Murray happy or filling the void at edge? I feel like right now, because of what you did with Josh Rosen and how you were so willing to move off of him after one season, regardless of if it was his fault or not, or regardless of how quickly he was able to pick up the offense, you have to be able to make it work for Kyler Murray. You have to be able to kind of make it just be him being your franchise guy. So at this point, it really matters. <laughs> what type of offense you're trying to run. If you're trying to run more of a power system, by all means, you can go ahead and add in a Zion Johnson from Boston College. Uh, if you're trying to run more of a zone gap system to where you have a little bit more of outside running, I would target Kenyon Green from Texas A&M. I think that if you want to go ahead and maybe have a guy like Trevor Penning fall to you at pick number 23, that's just great value. You might as well add and just pair alongside DJ Humphreys, play that right side and help out with the rushing attack. But it is, I think you do bring up a really good point. It is based off value. I mean, I'm not going to reach and go at a guy like Dylan Parham from Memphis, who is probably a good round two, round three type player at number 23, when a guy like George Karloftis, who recently visited with the Arizona Cardinals, is on the board and would make a lot of sense for the solid defense that they want to run, or potentially even an Arnold Ebiketti, a Boy Mafe, one of these guys. So 
it all is based off of value. Sometimes helping out your quarterback is by getting a three and out defensively to where you have the ball a good field position because of a punt and it allows you to be able to score and put up consistent points. But you're not wrong. Kyler was sacked way too many times last year. But at the same time, Kyler has to get better with his throws. He's got to get better with his accuracy. He holds onto the ball a little bit. He kind of reminds me of what Russell Wilson did back in 2019 and 2020. Part of those sacks were because of poor offensive line play. Part of that was because if he scrambled around, waited for the play to evolve too much. And eventually, you know, the defense was able to finally catch him, bring him down the backfield for a loss of yards. So those are some things that I think Kyler needs to work on. And especially going into a year where he wants to get an extension before his fifth year option is finally up. This is a big, a pivotal year for him. This is a pivotal year, I think for uh, Cliff Kingsbury and, Slightly Steve Kime, who somehow continuously finds a way to get another contract extension after contract extension, despite the inconsistent struggles, especially drafting in the first round. So there's a lot of questions that you have with Arizona. I think that you have the quarterback in place, whatever you have to do to make him happy, do what you got to do to make him happy. Like, like that to me is number one priority, especially in a division that features two teams that definitely are going to be contenders for the Super Bowl. You want to make it a third. You got to go ahead and fix your offensive line. You got to go ahead and make Kyler happy. Yeah, and it wasn't just a Steve Kime that got a, a five-year contract extension this year. Cliff Kingsbury got one as well. Do you think any of those extensions were deserved? No, I, I don't. And I, But at the same time, yeah. I also don't think that Kyler's extension talk is deserved. There's still a lot that I think Kyler needs to prove, especially when it comes to postseason. You can go ahead and blame the offensive line for part of the inconsistencies. Decision-making like the one that he threw with the pick six uh, against uh, Los Angeles when he was in the end zone, that's a veteran play. Like, like, like you're, you're three years in the league. Throw the ball away. Don't, don't, don't just toss it up and try to get rid of it. Those are things that, that really do hurt teams like Arizona trying to go ahead and find a way to be successful. So to me, it's just no one deserved an extension right now. And now it's time for the best part of our Dash to the Draft Divisional Tour. We're going to give you, Cole, the opportunity to play GM for all four of these NFC West teams by doing three-round mock drafts. And we start with the Seahawks, and we are on the clock at 9, and we got options. Sauce Gardner is still on the board here. He would be a steal here, in my opinion. But if you want pass rush, Jermaine Johnson could be pretty good value here. Um Derek Stingley Jr., um, word as the Seahawks love him, and uh, he probably uh, put his stock back into the top 10 conversation with that pro day of his several weeks ago. And uh, Trevor Penning, if you want a, a offensive tackle that could run block and give you that physicality that Pete Carroll loves, uh, he could be an under-the-radar choice here as well. But uh, Sauce Garner, Jermaine Johnson, Derek Stingley Jr. are the – Top three options, in my view. What is your pick? So Charles Cross is not on the board, right? He's already been taken? Correct. He's already taken. Yeah, that would have been my pick, hands down. Crosses makes way too much sense, especially when you're have when you trying to go ahead and upgrade the passing attack. Uh, I, I think that he would just be a really nice addition, whether it be right side, left side. And I've heard that they're in talks with both Brandon Shell and Dwayne Brown to try and bring at least one back. So you got to upgrade the other side of the offensive line. I don't think he's going to be here on draft day. I really don't. I've heard that he can go as high as number three of the Houston Texans. But if Sauce Gardner's here, I, I don't see how I can pass on the number one cornerback and a player who, in my opinion, is the best 
overall defensive back in the class. And that includes Kyle Hamilton. Everything that I've seen from him and his skills, everything that I've seen from him in cover three, off ball, man coverage, good size at six foot three, makes a lot of plays attacking the football, is physical and has that alpha dog mentality. Reminds me a lot of what Richard Sherman was able to do in this defense. You want to add him to another Legion of Boom 2.0. This is a really good starting place. And you're very close I guess defensively in the secondary to being a good enough team with Sidney Jones, with Quandre Diggs returning, with having Jamal Adams, you might as well complete the secondary by adding in Sauce Gardner. It's tremendous value here. Derek Stingley, I think, will be the pick on actual draft day if he's available and there isn't an offensive lineman, but this is just good value. I can't pass on that. Absolutely. Uh, Sauce Garner profiles very, very similarly to Richard Sherman. And uh, if he somehow, some way falls this far, which I agree, I don't think he will. Uh, Pete Carroll would not hesitate to take him in my view. John Schneider wouldn't hesitate to take him either, but uh, they uh, make the decision jointly, I believe. And uh, we are on the clock at 40 with the pick they got from the Broncos in the Russell Wilson trade. Well, they also got nine, but they also got this pick as well in the trade. And uh, Matt Corral is still on the board here. If you want to take a roll of the quarterback dice here, I think this is the place to do it with Matt Corral. But uh, Quay Walker, if you think he can replace Bobby Wagner. Christian Harris, if you think he can replace Bobby Wagner. Uh, Tyler Smith, he definitely looks like a typical Seahawks uh, offensive line pick. Uh, raw as sushi, uh, but freakish athletic prospect. We already took a corner, but uh, Arnold Ibikitty, Edge, he would be good value here too. Here's the question. Who's picking after me? Because I know that they got 40 and then it's like 42, if I'm not mistaken. No, they got the 41. Pick. They got 41. The Colts Oh, I can just go back to back. Okay. So it doesn't really matter. Uh, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and just make this easy. Matt Corral's the pick here. You, you're, you can't go into next season feeling content with just Drew Locke being your starting quarterback. You have to be able to add somebody to your offense that can, I think, make a lot more sense. When you watch the pro day, I mean, when you watch the NFL combine, Pete Carroll and John Snyder had a private interview that was very well documented with Matt Corral. They went and spoke to him during that process. I'm not sure if he's going to be available at pick number 40, but again, it's you. I think that he is more of a second round quarterback with tremendous upside. I think that you need him to sit for a while. This is a team that's rebuilding. See what you have in him, kind of like what the Texans are doing with Davis Mills. Uh, give him some time. Let him start by about midseason. See if he can go ahead and uh, uh, utilize the offense and upgrade it. I think he's got a lot better of a more deep ball accuracy than what Drew Locke has. I think that he is a lot more elusive in the pocket. At this point, it just makes way too much sense. Go ahead and add in Matt Corral. And then I'm on the clock next pick, so let's just get this out of the way. I'm going to go with the shocker here. I think that while we can go with one of these premier offensive linemen, I don't like Tyler Smith as a tackle. I like him more as an interior player. I think Quay Walker is a good linebacker. I don't like him at pick number 42. I take him a little bit later. So I'm going to go with Arnold Abikevi out of, out of Penn State. I think that what you need to do is you need to add yourself a good overall pass rusher who can play a multitude of different positions. I like him as type of like a Leo role, kind of what Carlos Dunlap filled in for. He did a phenomenal job in uh, at Penn State getting pressures on the defense. He was also utilized in a lot of different ways, played the Leo type role, which is a standing linebacker that can be an, in, uh, a nine technique blitzer. He fits that very similar role and is a younger version of what Dunlap does. Just add him to your defense, met him be a pass rusher first, slowly develop as a run stopper. I think when you add all that together, it makes way too much sense. Ebicati is really good value here as well. And we conclude this three round mock for the Seahawks at 72 overall. And um, the Seahawks, uh, they got a pretty big running back stable. Uh, we'll pass on Kenneth Walker, the third and 
uh, Isaiah Spiller, Travis Jones from UConn. I think it would be tremendous value here if he falls this far. He would be a steal. Travis Jones should be a top 50 pick in reality, in my view. Uh, but let's see, we got here Brian Asamoah from Oklahoma. Darian Beavers, one of my favorite players at the Senior Bowl, linebacker from Cincinnati, a freak athlete. Leo Chennault, linebacker out of Wisconsin. Channing Tindall from Georgia. Uh, Kate Otten out of Washington, although that might be a little too rich here. Um, for a tight end, Troy Anderson, Montana State. Now that would be a very intriguing uh, potential Bobby Wagner replacement there. And, who is the best offensive tackle left? Let's let's, see let's go who see the that. Best offensive tackle left on the board is uh, it's Abraham Lucas out of Washington State. And uh, and here's an interesting thing about Abraham Lucas: there's a very good chance that he could go even in the second round because I believe he uh, recorded a four four flat. Uh, 40 yard shuttle and Josh Norris did a research project that revealed that offensive linemen that record a 4.47 in that drill or better the hit rate was just staggering it was just like it was like 86 percent so if you believe in the, that correlation and that Abraham Lucas has an 86 percent chance in your uh, scouting department's eye of uh, becoming a steady starter for you at offensive tackle go for it I'm going to do it only because of the reality is, is that you need a tackle this spot. And I do have, I'm a lot higher on Abraham Lucas. The one thing that I don't like is that he comes from an air raid offense that is really not prone to doing the, to doing rushing. But again, I think if you can play him on the right side and you can get Dwayne Brown back, there's just a lot of value there. I think that, you know, having a mobile quarterback like Matt Corral be your long-term option allows you to kind of have him kind of pull out to the outside, uh, continuously have blocks, win those one-on-one battles matchups. I think there's a lot of value there. I really like this. I like the fit for where he kind of is. And I, I just think that when you look at what you have to upgrade at, you can't go into the next season with the current offensive tackles. It's it's more so supply and demand. And you kind of mentioned those linebackers that were available. Darian Beavers, you can probably get, you know, based off this mock, you can get him in round four. Leo Chanel is probably going to fall somewhere in round four. Training Tindall is going to be there. I, Troy Anderson was actually going to be the pick if Abraham Lucas was on the board. Because I, I have a top 50 grade on Troy Anderson. I love his actual game. I think he can be one of the most dominant players, well-rounded linebackers from this class by the end of the, by the end of his rookie season. I'm just not sold on him at this spot when I need offensive tackle help. Abraham Lucas just, to me, it's a bit of a reach because if, again, you're going to be trusting the rushing attack, but his speed, his hand usage, and I think that his overall multi-year play. I think it was a two-year starter at both left and right tackle. You need to be able to have that on your offensive line. So it just makes too much sense. And now on to the San Francisco 49ers three-round mock. We are on the clock now at 61. And uh, you say they need a corner, but there is a name staring him in the face. There could be a very intriguing option if he falls this far. And once again, I don't think this guy will fall this far. I'm obviously talking about Travis Jones of UConn. Javon Kinlaw, um, can you really trust that guy to stay healthy? I don't think you can. And Travis Jones could be that long-term replacement that you need for DeForest Buckner. I want to go that way. Go to the safety position real fast. I just want to see if he's available. Uh, Safeties. Let's see. Uh, Damari Mathis out of Pittsburgh is the highest nah. ranked safety. Nah, if Jalen Pichu was there, that was going to be the pick. I just think that, you know, the way that they would utilize him in that defense makes way too much sense. Go to, um, 
Yeah, you know what? At this point, it, it's just too much good value. I'll go Travis Jones here. I think that he can play a one-gap system. I think he's better suited as a two-gap player. I think that he would be a lot better of a fit in a 3-4. But again, you can utilize him as a nose tackle. You can kind of use him. If you want to uh, add in a dime formation, you want to have a nickel, you can go ahead and have him be the two-gap player up the middle. Uh, again, I don't think you're not you're, you're too far off. You know, DeForest Buckner, they traded away him. Then they added in Kinlaw. Kinlaw hasn't been able to stay healthy enough to where you can feel comfortable with him being your starter. I still think there's other options available and he may not be there, but it is good value. And again, he is a player that can work as a one gap system. He's great against the run. I love what I was able to see from him down in uh, mobile. I think that there's a lot of potential for him to be a big time name and that DJ Jones replacement on this defensive line. Definitely. And we are on the clock again at 93 overall. Uh, should we check to see what corners are here? I got to go corner. I, I, ju I just can't go into next season without seeing it. Oh, and there's the one that I want. Uh, Cam Taylor-Britt. Cam Taylor-Britt, absolutely. Uh, Let's Cam try to pick him. Uh, yeah, and uh, there's buzz that Cam Taylor-Britt might not even last this long. I don't, I'm not sure if he will. Uh, I've heard that everyone loves his physical demeanor. They love his, you know, his style of play. He's a willing tackler. He's not afraid to go ahead and play the run. And when you play in a division that features good running backs like James Conner, uh, like what we're like, we're shot penny to what we saw at the toward the season's end, what we can expect from probably uh, Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson, you got to be able to have guys who can win on the outside. I think that Cam Taylor Britt absolutely fills that need. I think he's going to be a more consistent upgrade over what you have right now with Jason Barrett. And if you want to play him on the inside, you absolutely can. I think he just is going to be a massive tackler. That's This is the type of player that I think Kyle Shanahan, and more so D'Amico Ryan's probably wants for a system. And now we are at 105 overall, the final pick of this three-round mock for the Niners. This is the compensatory pick that I believe they uh, got because of the hiring away of Mike McDaniel as head coach of the uh, Miami Dolphins. And uh, the 49ers could use some uh, help on the interior offensive line. And Cole Strange from Chattanooga, another guy we saw down in Mobile, is still left right here on the board. Physical, really strong against the run, a great puller, and they just added an Aaron Banks. You are a team that loves to utilize the rushing attack. You've proven that by upgrading with Elijah Mitchell and adding Trey Sermon last year. Go ahead, add some competition in this, uh, you know, on this offensive line. Cole Strange, I like the pick. I like the fit. I like that he's a mauler in the trenches. I like that he is able to make a lot of plays uh, with his hand usage. I think he has good balance when it comes to uh, run blocking. Overall, there's a lot to like about his upside. I would be very pleased if he was able to fall to 105. And now on to the Arizona Cardinals. Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury. We are on the clock at 23 overall. Uh, Trevor Penning's still on the board, but you're not looking for tackle help. Zion Johnson and Tyler Linderbaum still on the board. If you wanted to protect Kyler Murray, Kenyon Green still on the board. So you got your options at the interior offensive line. And in terms of edge, Boye Mafe is still on the board. This is the scenario that we envision at the beginning of the show when we thought, oh, if the, four, if the Cardinals have all these interior blockers on the menu and a boy Mave on the menu, they have a pretty hard decision to make. I think right now I can't, I have to just go play with my big board and on my big board, Zion Johnson is the highest rated player. So I got to go with Zion Johnson. I think that Trevor, well, Trevor Penning technically is, is higher rated, but it's one spot before him. I just feel like that you need to upgrade the interior offensive line. You got to add somebody to pair with Justin Pugh. You got to add somebody to pair um, with, the center, you got to be able to pair somebody with DJ Humphreys. Yeah, you got to be able to up, 
yeah, Ronnie Hudson. You got to be able to upgrade the run run game if you're going to go and hope, and hope that James Conner can be your feature back next year. Zion Johnson just makes way too much sense, and he's versatile. He's played tackle. He's played guard. He worked center reps during his time uh, down in Mobile. So you can utilize him in a lot of different ways. If anything happens with injuries, you can kind of play him at a different spot. Just this is good value. It's what you're looking for. This is where you need to kind of go. And we are on the clock again at 55 overall. So we got our interior offensive line. Let's uh, Cameron Thomas from San Diego State. He recorded an amazing three-cone time. And if there is one measurable that kind of predicts how successful a pass rusher will be at the NFL level, it's that three-cone drill. And Cameron Thomas was sensational. But there's a lot of uh, questions about him. He's a little bit of a tweener. And let's see about the other edges on the board. Logan Hall from Houston. Uh, if you, uh, he, he could play edge, but uh, he, he could also be groomed as a long-term successor to J.J. Watt playing that 4-I position on defense. Josh Pascal from Kentucky. He is a guy who is rising up boards right now as well. Uh, should we look at any other positions here? No, I'm going to go with what I think you kind of just said. I I've watched a lot of Logan Hall film, and every single time that I see him, I think that he would be better fit in a 3-4 defense or if he would be in a 4-3 moved inside to a 3 technique or 4-I technique. So it makes a lot of sense. If you play him as a defensive lineman and allow him to just kind of work upfield with a really solid outside linebacker pass rusher, maybe like a Majai Sanders in round three or something like that, that's a combination that I would want to see. I think Logan Hall fits better as a five technique. You need to be able to have yourself a long-term replacement for the likes of J.J. Watt, who consistently is finding himself injured. Logan Hall makes a lot of sense. I think if you play him properly, he is going to be a guy that adds in double-digit sacks, double-digit tackles for losses, and double-digit pressures. You just have to utilize him properly. And in this defense, he would be a five technique where you would have his hand in the dirt instead of a standing outside linebacker. And we are uh, coming on the clock again in just a little bit. So we got Zion Johnson and Logan Hall so far in this mock for the Cardinals. We addressed pass protection. We've uh, given the pass rush more juice. And now let's see what this brings here at 87. Just go, go, go to edge real fast. I want to see who is, who is the best edge available. Just to, just to humor me. Yep, Tyree and Smith there. and my Jay Sanders are still on the board. D'Angelo Malone is uh, another good option too. I think the way that they want to run this defense, the way that this defense works best is with a perfect three, four outside linebacker. Majai Sanders to me is not going to be able to fit in a four, three. He has to go to a three, four style defense. He has to be a standing nine technique. He has to be able to come off the edge. And there were times against Alabama, especially when he was going against the right side of the offensive line where he was dominating Chris Owens in that cotton bowl. He was able to get pressure. He was able to get in the backfield. He was able to make Bryce Young's life a living hell at times. I think that he needs a little bit more tune up. He needs to be a little bit more polished, but over time, I do believe that he could be a long-term lesser version of what Chandler Jones brought to this team. And he does have value. I think that you can never have too many pass rushers. Imagine a defensive line that features a guy like Logan Hall coming off, taking the outside shoulder of a tackle to allow a guy like Majai Sanders to work upfield and add pressure in the backfield. That's a combination that in time, I think very well could be significant. I like Majai Sanders. I, I know that people are going to say, well, you're double dipping at edge. You got to understand. I'm going to play Logan Hall as my uh, defensive end in a five technique, I'm going to let him be a standing technique. And that to me works. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree with you there. You can never have too many uh, 
edge rushers. And uh, I've been doing these mock drafts for the Broncos on my own time. And uh, given the fact that you got uh, Bradley Chubb, who's always certain, and Randy Gregory, who can't uh, keep his head on straight, at least historically speaking, at the top of the depth chart, um, I have been double dipping at edge at this part of the draft as well. It wouldn't shock me if the Broncos did such a thing either. So, uh, or any other team, you can never have too much pass rush. Very, very good, uh, good point there, Cole. And now we are making the lone pick for the FM Picks Rams in this three-round mock, which comes with their compensatory selection at 104. They have this pick because Brad Holmes uh, is now the GM of the Detroit Lions after being their college scouting director. And the best player on the board is uh, Greg Dolchich, the uh, tight end out of UCLA. Um, uh, he could I, I'm be the not here. I'm not going to go tight end. I, I, as much as I, I, I like tight end classic, there's a lot of good names in rounds three and rounds four to where you can go ahead and add, go to cornerback. Because if I do think that you need to be able to add some competition with Robert Rochelle, who's going to at least get first crack at taking over. Yeah. It's Josh Job and Zion McCollum. If this was the pick in round four, I'd be all over Zion McCollum, but I can't take him in round three. Um, well, but Brian of Cincinnati. Yeah, he's a fringe round one player. I maybe want to go after him. Go to an interior offensive line because they also got to upgrade from what they have with Austin Corbett. Definitely. They lost uh, Austin Corbett to the uh, Carolina Panthers and interior offensive line. Spencer Burford from uh, UTSA. Alec Lindstrom, brother of Chris Lindstrom, currently with the Falcons. Uh, still there. Justin Schaefer out of Georgia. Tyrese Robinson, Oklahoma. Donovan West, Arizona State. He's a pretty good prospect. Luke Fortner from Kentucky. Cam Jurgens is still here, but he's going to go much higher than this. There is no way Cam Jurgens falls this far. I don't like any of them. I mean, like, to be honest, because like Cam Jurgens to me is a perfect center, but you just signed Brian Allen to a three year deal. If you let Allen walk, that would have been the pick, but. Let's see what you got to tackle. Just, just, I want to humor myself just to see what we got to tackle. Rasheed Walker for Penn no. State still here. Ah. Let's and go then Braxton else. Jones. Max Braxton Mitchell. Jones. Screw it. I'm just, I'm just going to go ahead and end it. I, I think that you got to be able to have a number one corner. I mean, a number two cornerback uh, opposite of what I've seen from Jalen Ramsey. I think Robert Rochelle is going to have a lot of success. I, I, I absolutely loved his tape when he was coming out of Central Arkansas last year but I can't go into next season without having some competition. I'm going to go ahead and take a flyer. I think that he's a lot lower graded than guys like Josh Job and Zion McCollum. Just give me Kobe Bryant. I, I like Kobe Bryant's game. I think that he is a really good complimentary corner and he's been able to play that role his entire career. When you look at what he did opposite of sauce Gardner, they threw his weight and he was aggressive. He was not afraid to go make plays against number one and number two receivers. This is kind of the role that you want him in. And the reality is that you don't have to rush him because if you do have cornerbacks on the roster who are already talented enough to where he can kind of slowly adapt into a starting role. But if he does come out balling the way that he did in his final season at Cincinnati, there's your Darius Williams replacement. So it just... I'm a lot higher on Kobe Bryant than others. I have a top 100 grade on him. I think he's like 99 on my board. But at this point, I, I don't like Zion McCollum at, at this spot. I also don't like Jalen Watts at this spot. I like Kobe Bryant more. I'm just going off based off big forward. That to me makes the most sense. He is Cole Thompson, ladies and gentlemen, NFL and college football reporter for Fan Nation and the host of the Just Saying It podcast. Follow him on Twitter at Mr. Cole Thompson and Cole, thank you so much once again for joining us. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back soon with the fifth stop 
on our 2022 Dash to the Draft Divisional Tour in the AFC South, so stay tuned. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at dcrom 59 and on Instagram at SportsCrunch with dcrom. And remember, that's Crunch with a K. Also, be sure to check out the new and improved SportsCrunch.com, where my third mock draft of the 2022 cycle is now posted. For Cole Thompson, this is David Cromwell saying so long, stay awesome, and whatever you're doing, please keep the brave people of Ukraine in your thoughts and prayers. Until next time, cats, kittens, stay cool.